Josh Alvarez. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. And you're listening to episode 145 of Cinepunks. Cinepunks. So, guys, we did an episode last. The last episode we did was the Christmas feel good holiday episode <laughs> where we discussed two movies. We talked about The Seventh, seventh um, Continent by uh, yes. Michael Han- Hanukkah. And we talked about uh, Breaking the Waves by Lars von Trier. And uh, that was a little jokey joke because it wasn't the holiday uplifting no. warm spirits that we were. No. We were we, it was the most one of the most depressing double features we've done. No disrespect which, to Adriana. Like, I, no disrespect to Adriana. I, I really set her up because I thought, like, kind of jokingly, like, it would be fun to do something dark. But I really thought we'd have time to do a fun Christmas episode before Christmas. And that's not how it worked out. So it just seemed like we did a – but but to be fair, it's a great episode. It's not that the it's episode's a, bad. It's just – it's a downer of an episode. It, those are downers of movies. And um, so coming away from that episode, Liam and I were like – well, maybe we should actually talk about things that bring us joy so people don't think fair, that we're just fair. sour ass sour pusses. So uh, today's episode, episode 145, we are going to be talking about nostalgic films that bring us great joy. Because, man, how else are we going to move into 2022 other than looking backwards into movies from the 1980s? That we loved and made us happy. <laughs> For some of us, moi, the last time I could truly remember joy in my life. Oh, no. <laughs> That's fucked um, up. That's yeah. not true. Um, <laughs> I also think this is this will, I hope, be part of a kind of continuing uh, pattern in that, um, you know, me and Josh, we, we all, I, I don't know if you guys get the vibe, but we pick topics by the seat of our pants. Usually... We pick the topic the same time that we decide what day we're going to record. So we've given ourselves oftentimes four days to ruminate on something, five days to ruminate on something before we record, which is fine. That's okay. But uh, we we decided that we should have sort of like larger ideas. Like I still want to be loosey-goosey with specifics, but have sort of larger themes that we cycle through. And I think one of those should be nostalgia. Like we do a good job covering newer movies. We do a good job covering movies that are like challenging to us or, you know, that are not new, but new to us, or even like talking about specific genres. I think we do a pretty good job, but I think sometimes it'd be cool to just be like, yo, this may not be like a fucking masterpiece, but this movie was very important to me when I was 15 and it's still important to me now. So we're going to talk and we might even cover nostalgic movies that we think are bad now that might happen. But I think, I think this first step of covering movies, we still enjoy. Uh, Although, you know, we'll see. We, I haven't actually talked to Josh, so I don't know if he loved the movie I picked and he doesn't actually know what I think of the movie he picked. So maybe I'm going to drop a bomb on him. Who knows? Who knows? (laughs) Stranger things have happened on this very podcast. It's true. It's true. (laughs) 
But so, yeah, so that's what we're going to be doing today. We'll be talking about nostalgia movies. It's a theme that we picked by the seat of our pants as we were scheduling our next time to talk. Uh-huh. And um, I think it's going to be fun. Josh, what did, you, that, what did you pick? You didn't tell them the people oh, what you snap. picked. You guys should probably want to know what, what, what we were watching. I myself picked the 1998 based on a true story classic. I believe that's 89. I thought it was 88. Oh, 80, you said 98. No, I said 88. Oh, it sounded like you said 1998. And I was like, no, that can't possibly be right. Man, hopefully nobody rewinds and hears me say something weird because I'm pretty sure I said 88. But anyway, that's not important. We're talking about a based on a true story movie. It's a, it's a, uh, multiple times debugged to true story movie. <laughs> based on a memoir. <laughs> <laughs> Of uh, Frank W. Dukes, a movie called Bloodsport. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Liam, what did you pick? The uh, the 1982 uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger vehicle directed by John Milius. Um, uh, screen uh, screenplay by uh, Oliver Stone, though who knows how much of it was got left. rewritten. Most yeah. of it got rewritten. Yeah, uh, Conan, <laughs> Conan the Barbarian, the uh, Barbarian, the, the classic, the classic. Not to be confused with Conan the Destroyer, which or I think Barbarian a, sound system. Well, and I do think, but I do think a lot of people do confuse Conan um, the Barbarian and Conan the Destroyer are two very different movies. Though they shouldn't be very different, but they are very different. Uh, uh, of course, based on the character by Robert E. Howard, uh, who, by the way, I've read a chunk of old uh, Conan stuff, and then I, I also own a, a lot of the comic books, which I think you could argue, at least for Milius's style, a is lot more of, of the comic book. Pulpy yeah, I think variety. it's. I think I think the comic book. I mean, there are specific references in the movie to specific stories that Robert Howard wrote. But I think that the the visual style and some of the changes in who Conan is as a character come more from the comic books. I think it's very influential. And I think we see that more even in the sequels, which Milius is not involved in, but Conan the Destroyer and then Red Sonia, which is technically kind of a sequel. Uh, <laughs> they're both very influenced by the comic books as well. So anyways, uh, Conan the Barbarian, uh, a movie that I have probably watched this viewing of this film may have been like the hundredth time I've seen it. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Oh, man. Just on my ground. We'll, we'll get into all that. First, we should thank a few people. Uh, who do we need to thank, Josh? First, we need to thank all of our friends on the Patreon. Patreon, um, you guys give us your money and you listen to us ramble and warble. And uh, we couldn't do any of this without you. So we'd like to appreciate the people who actually take time and take their hard-earned cash and send it to us on behalf of the show. And uh, so, yeah, Patreon subscribers, thank you so much for your support. And it's a privilege to be able to talk to you Um as we move into this new year. So thank you so much for that. We also would like to thank our good friend at uh, our good friend, Aaron Dalbeck at Essex coffee roasters, who, um, you know, is to say Aaron's a good dude is to grossly undersell it. He's truly one of the best dudes. And, um, you know, he, he makes, he roasts coffee beans to your satisfaction. And, um, 
you know, if you order from them and you put in Cinepunks at checkout, you get a 10% discount, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X, and you also send the message that you're listening to us and that's how you're there. So, you know, that makes um, us look cool. So thank you so so much. But also, uh, Aaron's just the man. Like, it's such Agreed. a, he's such a righteous brother. Like, he's, the dude has been nothing but a prince to me, especially during, like, these weird times that I've been having and, like, just hard times since I got fired from my job last year. Like, this dude has been nothing but a prince and he deserves all of your love and all of uh, your coffee needs will be met ceremoniously by the good people at Essex Coffee Roasters. So I'm drinking, I'm drinking Essex right now as we speak. And also we'd like to thank our good friend Chris Reject and his operation at LVACXLVACX.com, uh, the Lehigh Valley premier screen printer outfit with a gigantic machine that is capable of printing many things. Um, so if you have a band, if you have a podcast, if you have a sporting team or a sporting event, perhaps you have a family reunion where you would need multiple T-shirts for for you and your brethren. You know what I mean? Like kind of make uh, everybody happy or maybe make everybody sad. I don't know what your family dynamic is. Um, if you're in the Valley or if you're not, just hit them up at xlvacx.com. And uh, same case, tell them that Cinepunk sent you and they would probably charge you 10% more for your order because that's just the... Uh, the sibling antagonistic relationship we have with Chris Reject, whom despite Liam's, uh, you know, constant deriding, I celebrate wholeheartedly because I love Chris. I never deride Chris. That's not true. I know. He I never know. does. It's, it's uh, definitely not true. Uh, I, I want to also lift up his new, uh, Chris has a new sort of uh, bootleg operation called Dry Rot. Uh, you, if you know the merch bin site that uh, through which LVAC hawks shirts for bands like uh, Iron Sheik, Iron Sheik and Hears and, and a lot of different bands. He now has a new uh, uh, bootleg operation through that Dry Rot. They're doing both music and movies. Now, you guys know I wouldn't normally promote the competition, uh, <laughs> but the vibe is very different than, than Rough Cut. You know, he's got a Terminator 2 shirt. He's got, he's a, got ma- a pretty Sweet Bajork shirt. shirt. Yeah, well, and I was going to say, plus the the music designs are sick. And they honestly, are. I'm promoting it, you know, not just because we love Chris, but I'm hoping he'll send me one or two free T-shirts. You hear that, Chris? Hook, <laughs> hook, hook your mans up. I want that unwound shirt real bad. Yeah, that unwound shirt is yeah. so tight. So, it's uh, so good. Yeah, this is, you know, yet another way for Chris to try to, you, you know, grow his business. And if anyone knows LVAC, you know, eh, the whole thing is he's trying to give his employees um, the opportunity. A livable wage. Yeah, for a livable wage to have real lives. That like working there is not a burden, but a gift. And so this is just another way, you know, people are like, man, that for 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 a real punk guy, Chris sure likes making money. But if you, if you pay attention, all that money goes to his employees. It goes to improving the business. It goes to uh, the events that he holds, the wrestling stuff. So, uh, you know, Chris, Chris isn't out here buying a nice car or anything like that uh, or, or or clothes that don't smell or anything like that. He's still a smelly punk. So, uh, you know, go go check out Dry Rot. Uh, you can get there through his merch bin site uh, and and get a shirt. You know, maybe maybe you want to purchase one of those two XL unwound shirts. Send that to my house. That'd be cool. <laughs> I think that was a cool way to support the podcast. I'm uh, saying, man. I'm saying. I'll we take, are a, I'll definitely... take a Bauhaus as well. You know, sure. Why not? <laughs> Did you? See, I saw a joke on 
some social media about, you know, this season we're gonna turn a bow house into a bow home. <laughs> <laughs> so Fuck. ridiculous. We're we're quoting so jokes from the internet. This show I is know. over. I'm sorry. We, we failed. We jumped the shark. It's true, and it's my fault. <laughs> Well, before Me, we Moa. fully, I mean, I laughed because I thought it was funny. So clearly we're both <laughs> in this boat. Uh, before we totally jump the shark, let's transition to okay. our very important segment. The one that people really, they come here for this thing. Uh, and it's called um, Ludie and you Booty. you whacking on track? Is oh that my what God, is? fuck. That's the one? I was going to draw it out so long. <laughs> I was going to draw it out so long. 2022 is around the corner, Liam. We have no time to waste. Yeah, that's fair. No time. No, that's fair. Uh, that's fair. We are recording this in 2021, in case anyone's wondering. So here's the thing, right? Like, one of the things that, like, you know, whacking on track, and it's Cinepunks, right? So we it's movie and music. So Liam and I are doing our 2021 like, we've decided, Liam, like, we're not really, it's been such a crazy year. I know it's been crazy for you. I myself am not having a good year. It's been fucked up. I mean, they're good things, and trust, I'm, I'm doing my best, uh, you know. But we were like, do we really want to do a, a year in review roundup of things that we've seen and or listened to that really, like, moved us? Even though we put, we put it to, like, um, our writers and actually people who follow us on social media like to send us in their lists and all this stuff. I just don't have it, man. I just don't have the energy to even think about the movies that I've seen as I've been going through one of the worst years in my life. Is that fair to say? Like, that's it, it's just too much, Liam. I just don't have it in me. So, one of the I, things we've I think decided to I do, I think that's fair. I think that's very fair. One of the things we've decided to do is that we've decided to make a best in 2021. Uh, playlist from the Cinepunk Spotify account. And um, we're each putting in 25 songs. There might be more by the time it's finished. Who knows? We don't know. Like we said at the beginning, this is a bit of a loosey-goosey operation flown by the seat of our pants. That's just how we do. So, um, but yeah, what'd you think about the songs I picked, Liam? They're so good, right? Oh, man, yeah. That playlist is will be coming. Here's the deal. Uh, I, this, I always set myself up like this, right? So the deadline, we're, we're recording on uh, December 30th. The deadline for the official Cinepunks uh, roundup is January 3rd, which I, I begged Adriana to move it to January 3rd so I'd have more time. But this week where I'm like, okay, Christmas is over. I can spend this week catching up with all the movies and all the music and all the stuff. Well, of course, this is the one week that Maeve has off from daycare. So when am I supposed to do all these things? Like I'm supposed to write up a list and watch movies and listen to music? I just I set myself up for failure every year. So <laughs> our playlist probably won't come out till like a little bit into January because Josh sent me this list of 25 songs ready to go. And I looked at my sort of Spotify to figure out what I wanted to put on there. And I like I had a, probably a good 10 ready to go. And then the rest, I'm like, I don't know. Oh man, <laughs> fuck. So it's going to take me a little bit to, to do it, but yeah, well, what Josh, I think what you did, you managed to pick five things that I was going to put on my list. Right. That's fair. That's and fair. then the other 20 songs were like, you were like, aha, Liam, you don't know what this is. Fuck you. <laughs> and I, I, dude, there's so many songs in there that I'm like, 
this really did make me happy <laughs> when I heard no, it this No, I think year. that's fine. No, I, and I love that. I, it's just funny because, like, I thought, well, if we're doing it this way where he's going to do all 25, it's going to be, like, most of the stuff that I like, too. And you somehow managed to be like, well, here's five songs that were, like, except for one, we're going to be in, like, my top five things I listened to this year. And then the rest of the list, I was like, I don't know what any of this is. This is awesome because it, it adds variety and it, it allows me like when, we, if we did this list and let's say you picked, I don't know, a bunch of the hardcore that I liked. Right. Well then yeah. I'm like, well, I'm not going to repeat anything. I got to make sure that I'm picking other stuff. So this gives me a chance to like, there's a few like, uh, I mean, we're on Spotify. So there's a bunch of band camp stuff I can't put on there. Like for example, a friend, friend of the show, he doesn't listen, but uh, Will McAndrew has that Poison Ruin band. Well, that's that not a record. Is that de- those demos are amazing? The two that you sent me, unbelievable. Are so good. But they're not on Spotify, so I can't put that on. You know what I mean? So I got to find. But there are a few like demo core level bands that are on Spotify that I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, well, I can put that on here because Josh put like you know, uh, Trixie Mattel or whatever, you know, and again, not that those are bad choices, but it gives me a freedom to be like, well, I'm going to put a couple of really hard songs on here to like balance this out some, but I'll still put, you know, uh, you know, people who know me know Serpent with Feet is going on there. Lil Nas X is going on there. Fucking Silk Sonic is going on there. Like the smooth stuff that I like to chill out to is still going on there, but there'll be one or two like real stompers. My, my only real regret is, I didn't discover any new metal that I liked and not new metal in the sense of NU metal. I just mean <laughs> new release metal that I enjoyed this year. I just, I haven't oh, listened man. to any metal this year. This I don't know what it is. It's been a watershed year for me in terms of like actual like black metal music listening. I know I hear that, but I just haven't checked anything out. It hasn't been part Ugh. of my rotation. A lot of my time this year is spent making sure that these bands aren't racist. Right. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> Yeah. That's the thing about liking metal or oi, right? Like I similarly there were a couple of like street punk oi bands that I liked that I was like, okay, let me do some googling to make sure. Yeah, let me just do these a little bit of a chill. deep dive. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Just to make sure. Uh there's there is one record that came out this year though that I really would like to put up as like one of my most favorite records. It's called The Sharecropper's Daughter by Sarak. Okay. Oh my god. I put two songs on the playlist and um one is her duet with um, with Black Thought, and the other one is her duet with uh, MF Doom. Yeah, I don't know if, if this is, like, I don't know if we've actually talked about it at length on the show, Liam, but, like, there was a time in, like, the late 90s, early 2000s when I was the hip-hop buyer for Vintage Vinyl. So, like, at that particular moment in time, I was like neck deep into hip hop. And yeah, of course. I went to I I went to more hip hop shows and hardcore shows. Like it was there was a moment when that was like more my thing than like aggressive punk or hardcore or whatever else, you know? And um what happened was I moved to Philly. I took my foot out of that stream because I got into uh Belagos and I got into Hey Angel. So I was playing in two like punk adjacent bands and that was like the scene I was in. So I kinda like not turned my back on hip hop, but I just gave it a little break because it was like so much of my life at that point. And then when I came back, everything changed, right? Like raucous had closed, like all my favorite MCs were weird now. And it was like one of those, like, I just don't understand what's happening. But here's the thing throughout my entire hip hop, like love, which still stands today. I've always loved female MCs. Like I've always loved, like from Moni love to Rod Digger. Like I loved, um, 
Lauren Hill. Like I loved like, or not Rod Digger, Roz Cos. Like all that like stuff was like my shit. You know what I mean? Like I really loved Bahamadia. I really loved Jean Grey. I loved um, uh, uh, Rhapsody. The, she's one of the newer MCs that I've found. But like there's so many like female MCs I think that just have um, amazing like wordplay and amazing like just flow, which, you know, I don't know if that's the word to use, but. In this case, the Sharecropper's Daughter LP is so good to my ears. And it reminds me of just the strength of those female MCs that really did it for me back then. You know what I mean? And it's like, it's so good to listen to. And then to hear Black Thought on there, like the song that I put on the playlist, I think is so mind bending. And it really, really like moves me. And then like, you know, to hear MF, like given that he died this year, like that shit just hit me right in the heart piece. Like it was so, it's such a good record. And man, Liam, I'm telling you, you need, to, I mean, also Liam has made it known that my taste in hip hop is dated and that I like hip hop today. That sounds like hip hop from back then. So it's kind of an old school at this point. No, given that's that, okay. You know, that's fine. It's You're, 20 years later. You, you are 40 something. It's, it's time to be washed and you are washed and that's okay. <laughs> I am 100% washed. Yeah. Because I don't like Drake like Liam does. You oh don't even start this argument again. <laughs> Still funny. Still not funny. for me, man. Not oh, for man, me. It's so good. I listened to a Drake record. Listeners, longtime listeners of the show would know. I listened to a Drake record because I was like, I'm gonna listen to something that Liam likes. And uh <laughs> I listened to Drake and then Liam was like, I hate Drake. I'm like, ow. Oh, He's too. just not for me. He's not for me. It's not for me. So I'm not good. trying to be an asshole, but it's not for me. <laughs> So, Liam, uh, what have you done lately that is whack and or on Trizac? Oh, yeah. I don't even know if we've been talking about that for a while. I don't know. Uh, uh, <laughs> well, like I said, I have been trying to, like, cram in some movies that I either missed or it's – I mean, some of this is unfair, right? It's not that I've been negligent in movies. It's that a mm. lot of companies are like, it's almost the end of the year. Let's put out all of our award darlings at once. And that's like shitty. Just put good movies out earlier in the year and trust. Or just that put we'll out only them. good movies. How about that? Well, that's true too. But there's movies that companies make to make money, and there's movies that comp- companies make to get attention. And so I think you know that they they put the attention movies at the end of the year, and uh, you know that's frustrating because it's like, how am I going to like? Let's say uh, we didn't have some of the access we do to screeners, right? Am mm-hmm. I going to have to go to the theater right now to see licorice pizza to see memoria which is playing in chicago now to see whatever the fuck out you know red rocket whatever the fuck you know it's like it's come on come on like there's just a lot of shit out right now that people are like oh that's like the movie of the year and it's like well fuck i can't i don't want to go to the movie theater right now if i can help it if I am, and I don't really even have time. It's not even just COVID, which is a part of it. It's also like, I just don't have time to like bust ass and get to a theater right now. So anyways, all that to say, I have been trying to catch up. There's a few things I did watch that I wanted to highlight. Um, one of which is in fact, red rocket. I thought that was great. Um, <laughs> had no idea that Simon Rex was such a good actor. I really I haven't him. seen that. I spoke to a um, friend of the show, Sean Porter about it though. Yeah. And uh, he was like, yo, Simon Rex is packing, dog. I was like, where? Yeah. And well, he was like, yeah, there's a, man. There's a lot of controversy about it because people just assumed it's a fake dick that he's swinging. There's a there's an extended male nudity scene where sh- where Simon Rex is running and his, his, his wang is flopping around. And a lot of people are like, there's no way Simon Rex would let his wang be po- flopping around in a movie. That's a fake wang. Um, 
do people forget that Simon Rex, uh, when he was an MTV VJ, had a bunch of stuff come out about the gay porn he had did, where he like jerks off in front of a camera. Like you could a quick Google search, <laughs> you can do a dick to dick comparison. It's not hard to find <laughs> Simon Rex's dick on the internet if you care. Personally, I don't much care if it's a real dick or a fake dick. But the idea that like, well, it's so big, it must be fake. It's like. Uh, uh, I mean, the man's dick is already famous. I don't know what you want. You know, like, come on, guys. Um, yeah, so, uh, I mean, I guess younger people probably don't know, but Simon Rex, there was a bunch of controversy when he was a VJ because, you know, he did some adult films uh, where he jerked off in front of a camera. You know, whatever. Dude wanted Wait, wasn't needed he money. like on a reality TV show and then transitioned to like MTV VJ? Was that his that, story? Or? That might, I, I honestly don't remember. When he was a VJ, I was not stoked on MTV. So yeah, I knew true. who he was. Like I, he's recognizable to me, but I don't know who he is. You know what he I mean? He was one of those like right when we were getting to college, I feel like. And MTV yeah. still played music like as a regular yeah. feature. Yeah. And he was like he was on some like real world one of those like shows. Sure, that makes sense. And yeah. then he ended. I, I mean, like, of course, the memory is fuzzing. I don't care enough to look to the Hall of Records to find out what the actual fact is surrounding this. But also, I just know he was on MTV, and now he. Well, he's I mean, like the point this. is this: he's in a movie. It's good. You should go see it. Did you like uh, it? Yeah, it's great. Uh, it's oh. you know, it's Simon. Um, I said Simon. I don't know. No, Sean. Sean. What is his? Ah, sorry, guys. Let me look this up real quick. To the Hall of Records, aka yeah. the Interphone. Is it Baker? Is it Sean? Baker, hold on. Sean Butcher, Sean Baker, Sean Candlestick Maker. I hate you so. <laughs> Fuck. Oh man, we are so old. You ever just make a joke and say to yourself, "Make man, I am old as fuck." <laughs> yeah, old. Sean Sean Baker. It's the ah. gen- gentleman who did Tangerine and the Florida oh. Project, oh, and it's very that. much that vibe. It's beautiful. I think some people are bummed. You know, it, it, there's a lot of controversy right now around licorice pizza because of the age gap between mm. the the Haim, uh lady and the dude that she has a crush on. You know, and so people are like, "Oh, it's so gross because the age difference." Well, they don't see Red Rocket because. Uh, <laughs> You know, Simon Rex is an old man, and uh, he uh, definitely seduces a seventeen-year-old girl. So there you go. Whoa. That's that's what the movie's about. Is uh, Simon Rex is a desperate former porn star that no one cares about, who's that hard on his luck, and he meets this young girl, and he decides this girl is his like ticket back into porn. But you know, his his whole life is a pile of lies, and things start to fall apart for him. And uh, wow, the whole thing occurs during the twenty sixteen election. Uh, and if you think that's a coincidence, you're not paying attention. Uh, there's more than a few similarities between this washed up porn star and our former president. So there you go. Uh, it's it's a good it's it's I, I mean, I say good. It's a rough watch in a lot of ways just because this dude is such a charming monster. He's like such a narcissist, but he doesn't know he's a monster. Does that make sense? Like he yeah. still thinks he's a good dude who's like trying to do the right thing. But like he's not. You know what I mean? Like he's mm. he's that self-deluded. Uh, so that's hard to watch, but it's also kind of funny and it's fucking beautiful. Like it's shot on 60 millimeter. It looks amazing. Like, yo, you got to see it. I mean, I, I guess for for people who are more sensitive, you know, it's it, it, if if you're the sort of person for whom it's not cool that this movie's main protagonist is 
like not a hero. He's like clearly a fucking awful person. Then like you're not gonna like this movie. You know what I mean? There's there's no there's no <laughs> reason to see it. No, just not for you. But uh, but it's very much a <clears throat> a character study movie of a terrible person, and I, I thought it was really good. Uh, on a more positive note, I also saw the uh, Sesame Street movie, The Street Gang, the documentary. Oh, right. How was that? I liked it a lot. I, I feel like it's a bit truncated because there's just too much story there. It's based off a book about the history of Sesame Street. And I get the feeling that they left a lot out, you know, but that doesn't mm. make it any less charming. It's really, really moving. I mean, the story of Sesame Street is emotional. So I don't know. I really liked it. I think if people who liked like the Mr. Rogers documentary or the uh, or the Big Bird documentary, this is also right up your alley. And it really isn't afraid to show the radical roots of Sesame street. Uh, I think what it doesn't show is the eventual taming of that, of those radicalism. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, that's not what the movie's about. The movie just wants to focus on the more positive aspects of something that's mostly a positive thing. So I'm okay with that. You know what I mean? So yeah, I really liked it. Um, what else did I see recently that I wanted to mention? It's, it's hard because you know, Josh right now, I'm trying to watch as much as I can, but I have to break it up. Like I can't just sit and watch stuff, you know? And so it's like, okay, what did I just watch? Oh, I, I finally finished uh Benedetta, the new Paul Verhoeven. Oh, film. I haven't seen it. How is it? It's great. It's great. It's uh, there people who only know Verhoeven for Starship Troopers and RoboCop. Although you could still see it in RoboCop. You might not realize <laughs> that, uh, you know, Paul Verhoeven is really interested in two topics. Uh, sex and religion. That's it. Those right. are the two things all of his movies are about. Sex and religion. Uh, and, and not all of them, but a chunk of his movies revolve around these topics. And this is one of those movies that combines the two. This is a movie that is about the body and faith and the Catholic Church. And wow, it's crazy. I, I could rewatch it. It's really good. I still don't know. I, it It's ambiguous in a way that I think is meant for to cause you to think about it. You know what I mean? It's not mm. ambiguous in a way that's like, Ooh, I'm being edgy. It's like very much like there's a, there's stuff there to think about. And I really appreciate that aspect of it. Mm. Um, what else? I'm trying to do there's anything else I watch that people maybe aren't talking about as much. Um, Oh, I rewatched. This is not, this doesn't fall into that category, but I did rewatch the French dispatch with Suze just to, uh, affirm my thought about it, that it was very good. And, uh, we were right, Josh, it's very good. Everyone, yeah, else I rewatched it with Melani this week as well. Cause she still hadn't seen it. And, uh, we watched it, and uh, man, I still love the shit out of that movie. It's, it's really so good. Everyone's great. wrong. It's really good. <laughs> I, um, I mean, and I hear everybody's criticism of it, and I understand, but also, for me, it just makes me happy. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. it's like, whatever justification you need me to have or not have for that, that's a you problem. Because for me, it hits all of the notes that I really, really love about Wes Anderson movies, and it makes me so happy to watch. It's it's the perfect balance of all of the things that I love. Speaking of your interest uh, in hip hop, I also watched All the Streets Are Silent, the oh, convergence the of hip hop and skateboarding. Hip -hop and skateboarding yeah, yeah, man. Uh, it's interesting because, you know, because of my friendship with my uh, business partner, Justin Miller. I often shit talk on Supreme because he was a hype beast for quite a while. And uh, I think that's funny. So I make fun of Supreme a lot. But 
regardless of what you think of Supreme now and the various schemes they come up with to make money, mm. when Supreme started, that shit was legit. You know what I mean? I like remember that, the shop in New York City. Yeah, it was part I of. I remember the, going there. It, it yeah. was legitimately part of the culture, and it came from people who had done other stuff. You know, who had mm. been a part of Zoo York, Hip-hop. who had been a yeah. part of Fat Farm. I mean, that's one of the things people don't talk about. Like when, if you say Fat Farm, right? You're thinking about Russell Simmons, right? Yeah. But the original mm-hmm. designers for Fat Farm were all skaters. They were all skate yeah. kids. They were backpackers. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, and e- even like the movie Kids, like that came out of a real cultural moment. And it's it feels gross now because that's kind of the point of the movie. But mm-hmm. it also sort of captured something that I think people think is like not real. That's like more real than it is in the movie. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. that, the, that, that, that whole community was even bigger than what it seems like in that movie. So I don't know. I, I found it really interesting. Um, also kind of sad just because, uh, some of those folks went on to great success and some of those folks died in horrible circumstances. So yeah. seeing like, is Harold Hunter in there. Oh yes. He has oh, yes. to be. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. And, uh, and talking about the, the, that club and, um, you know, they have the the variety of people they got for it, dude, from Rosario Dawson to Fab Five Freddy yeah. to like different skaters and designers and stuff, and even people from other parts of the country. Uh, it's even funny to hear people be like, "Yeah, you know, like my roommate was Moby." Like <laughs> a lot of people are like, "Where the fuck did Moby even come from? Like, how did we get cursed with this weirdo?" And it's like, well, uh, guess what? He was the opening DJ at the coolest club in New York. So sorry, y'all. <laughs> it's funny. Because- because like if you watch the Soleil Moon Fry documentary from this year, Kid Ninety, yeah, like there's that weird confluence of that culture right around the time that Kids came out. But she was friends with all those like Z York skaters and uh, yeah. our man Hoya from Madball is in that documentary as yeah. well. Yeah, which is like that was the cultural nexus. I mean, New York City at the time. I mean, for those people listening who are more into like younger listeners who are into punk and hardcore, who don't understand the 90s, you know, like they don't weren't mm. there. If you watch this documentary, which really documents from from 87 to 97, right? Mm. So much style that came out of that confluence, that zoo, let's call it the Zoo York moment, became mm. hardcore style. Like yeah. Like I'm watching this going, oh, everything that these kids are wearing in 95 became the uniform in 97. You know what I mean? Like it became like you, that's how you knew a hardcore kid. And in fact, by 98, when you met dudes who dressed like that and they weren't into hardcore, you're like, what the fuck? Like I, you you kind of forgot that that was part of the skating hip hop scene before it made its way into hardcore because it was such a part of, and, and we see that, you know, look at the, look at the aesthetics around bands like doggy dog or suburban hoods or whatever. Look at all of the merch for one step closer. Yeah. All of that is polo sport. Holy shit. Like it's got the teddy bear on there and dude, that was like when you would go to shows, like, during that time, we were living. I was living in North Jersey. You were too, right? You were in Princeton, weren't you, Liam? No, 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 no. That I didn't. I graduated high school in '97. Oh shit! I was already in college. Yeah, I was. So I was going to see shows at the Pipeline in Newark, and you couldn't really tell the difference. Like I saw shows at the Limelight that were like hip hop shows, and I've seen hardcore shows at the Pipeline. I've definitely seen like Crown of Thorns at the Pipeline, and I've seen Gangstar at you know the Limelight. 
And there was a moment when you couldn't tell the difference between either of those crowds. It was all straight bummy camo gear and Timbos and gigantic New York Yankees hats. There was direct crossover. They were, they were hardcore dudes who became MCs or like there's, let's talk about some more direct relationships. Uh, famous, uh, uh, nerd white rapper Sage Francis uh, was roommates with the guys and daughters in college. They went to college <laughs> together. Like, what the fuck? Or like, remember that uh, DJ Mr. Dibs, who started that whole, all that stuff out in Cleveland? He definitely sampled Earth Crisis and Madball on records all the time. Like, yeah. the the reality is there was it. It was never the connection I think that hardcore wanted. Hardcore always wanted to have a little bit of the shine from hip hop and be like, yeah, we're part of that community. And they weren't as much as we would like to say, but there was definitely crossover as documented by, you know, Freddie Alva with all of his graffiti stuff, you know, graffiti. And then you also had bands like Lords of Brooklyn and you had the goats and you had, uh, suburban hoods. Like all those things were like that weird moment specifically detailed. So I'm hearing in this movie of when like, And then also the other part of it that was really interesting to me was when it went the other way, when like Mark Echo was selling T-shirts out of the back of a car. And every time you bought one of his shirts, he gave you a mixtape of wild MCs. And it was like that definitely felt very punk to me at the time. But also going to hardcore shows at Middlesex County College and seeing a bunch of like like uh Caesar haircutted white boys and like gigantic Echo T-shirts when Echo yeah, was spelled with an H. Yeah, yeah, that was like, yo, that motherfucker's gonna kickbox the New Jersey bloodline. You better not be in his way when he starts doing that dumb shit. And it was that's what it was, man. That was like that weird moment. It's really funny. I definitely have to see this movie now. I haven't seen it yet. So. It's very good. You know. uh, I have actually a bunch of stuff to talk about, but a lot of it's gonna go into my end of year list. So I won't say anything more. The only thing I want to say on the music front was uh there's that I don't know how new this I'm kind of out of touch y'all like I hear new music sometimes but I don't know like how new it is so there's a band called Homefront have you heard this band I have not it's like very how do I describe this like 80s gothy dancey sort of oh. thing you know like very 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 new wavy sort of thing. I don't know. I'm less familiar with this music than you are. So all I'll say to you is check out Homefront. I know you'll like okay. it. I know for a, a fact that you'll <laughs> like it. Uh, and then you can describe to me what it sounds like. And then uh, a, br- a British, stupid, uh, a band. I, I don't know where they're from. I think they're from South America, but it, they're called Golpe, G-O-L-P-E. Uh, all their songs are in Spanish. I don't think they're from Spain. I think they're from South America. I'm not sure. Uh, I think they're on uh, La Vida SNMU's uh, records. But uh, they have a uh, a newer full-length, uh, I'm going to the album now because I forget the name of the record, called uh, La Copa e Solo Tua. Uh, and it's really good. It's very much that 80s uh early 80s uh hardcore but like with a with a very punk edge to it um ah. not quite 86 mentality but kind of along those lines a little less heavy uh than 86 but you know 86 mentality is definitely stomping around with your shirt off music this is has a little <laughs> bit more of a dangly earring feel but still okay. still goes hard uh and then speaking of 86 mentality there's a record called homo by the band strong boys uh, and if you want, if you like your uh, aggressive hardcore to also be aggressively, angrily gay, uh, Strong Boys <laughs> is for you. Strong Boys is is a, a little less playful than your limp wrist. A little bit more like, yeah, I like men 
do you want to fight about it? That's a little bit more of the strong boys vibe. And uh, it's very good. It's very, very stompy, very angry. Uh, uh, yeah, it's very, very good. So uh, check out Strong Boys. Amazing. Strong Boys. Yeah, right. man. I mean, the cover, if, if you guys, if you're listening now, go check out the cover for their EP, uh, Homo. It's very much like Leather Daddy vibe, uh, s and vibe. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyways, check them out. Dope. All right. My turn. Um, so on, I saw the Matrix movie. Oh, I forgot to say that. I saw that movie Resurrections. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I watched it with Melani and I watched it with Scully. Um, I couldn't, man. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And it's funny because, like, a lot of people whose movie opinions I respect and uh, look up to even, they, like, loved it. And I tried really hard. I did a hard rewatch on all three of them prior to going to the screener for Matrix. And we get there, and it just, I couldn't. I didn't, I couldn't figure any of it out. And Mm. I mean, like, granted, I got all of the subtext. I feel like I was there and I understood like the whole like, you know, gender fluidity of the of the subtext and all that stuff and and the agenda of the movie and all this other things. But I thought that as an action narrative, it just didn't do it for me. I didn't I don't know if I thought it was bad. I really liked certain aspects of it, but there's definitely a lot of things that just didn't work for me. In this movie. What did you think about it, Liam? Were you in on it or what? Fucking loved it. Love. See, that's what I'm saying. Like a lot of people like you loved it so much. And I mean, okay, let me let me say this. This is something I want to say because I when I say the following negative thing, I'm actually disagreeing with some of the negative reviews I read. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm seeing people say, it's stupid, but at least it's visually interesting and has fun action. No. No, it, it doesn't. It did looks not like have shit. Fun action the to movie, me. Yeah, I agree. It looks the movie awful. looks like shit. Uh, I'm being a little overly negative, but it's it it has not the visual flair of the first three films, and I don't even like the sequels that much. And and mm. but all three of those movies are visually interesting. This movie doesn't look good, and while some of the action is cool, a lot of it is bad. It's a lot very of it flat. A lot Including of it is the shot final poorly. climax. It's edited. It's edited poorly, I think, and I think it's shot in a way that is like too much close-up, uh, tight editing. So you can't really see what's going on. Probably because some of the performers can't do what they could do in the early movies, and they mm. got to make up for it. But uh, all that being said, man, I found it utterly charming and engrossing from beginning to end. I was mm. wrapped up in it. I love the meta commentary on the phenomena of reboots and sequels. I Mm. love the commentary on the misappropriation of the matrix movies. Um, I thought Keanu was great in it. I think he's obviously for me better in this than he is in the original matrix movies period. I'll give you that. I think Keanu is definitely a plus on this. Yeah. I hated the fact that Trini didn't have as much agency as Neo did. And that really kind of bugged me out because it's like, I mean, See, how, I disagree. I think ultimately she has all the agency. But she also has no lines. Well, she's less present because it's focused on him to some extent, but it also denies it, – it's a further 
uh, refutation of the idea of the one because it becomes about his attachment to her and that mm. that their relationship was always the point because the I, the feeling I get is that Lana seems to think people missed that in the first movies that that it was always a love story it was always about relationship mm. and so this movie focuses even more on that um, I think you could I, if I was going to critique it at all I feel like it's a little more cynical on political revolutions than the originals were, but mm. I think that's okay. I mean, you know, they made this revolutionary piece of art and it became a cliche and didn't affect anything socially. So I could see them. I could see her being a little more cynical about the idea of the revolutionary power of art at this point. Mm. Um, but no, I, I, I literally think that the, ridiculous it's a movie that i think is a little more knowledgeable of how stupid the dialogue is in the first films Mm -hmm. um and and it it makes that part of what the movie is i don't know i i thought it was really fun i really liked it a lot um i just think the idea that like oh man well at least it delivers on the action i just think the action is a little weak i mean it wasn't for me flat for me it wasn't for me so weak that i was bored though it just felt Mm -hmm. like it what it felt like to me dude was a tv show it the went, whole motorcycle sequence at the end had me so frustrated. Oh, really? I, I didn't that. feel that bad yeah, about it. I, I didn't like the swarm, and I didn't like the whole just like Keanu making hand motions and stuff while you know while Carrie Ann Moss is driving. Like it was, you know, okay, I get it. We're in Matrix world; that's a thing. But also, it's just yeah, it just hit flat for me. It didn't really, it didn't really move me the way that the action sequences like. Especially since given that the whole Matrix trilogy prior to is like a thing like that rewrote action movies ever since that movie. You know well, what I but, mean? Like, yeah, but that's the point. A, for better or worse, some would argue for worse that the Matrix single handedly ruined action cinema for the last 20 years. B, uh, at the expense of what the movie was about, like it, to a large extent even though I don't think the action, this is bad on purpose. I just think there was a limitation of resources and time. Um, Mm. You know, uh, one of the things to keep in mind with making movies, y'all is that money equals time. So if there's less money, then you have less time. And so, you know, they didn't have a million years. They didn't have all the money in the world to make this thing. Uh, And, and, and it really was, I think in a way saying like, yeah, uh, you know, we're not going to be able to blow your socks off like we did in the first movie, but, uh, and this, or in the sequels, but you know, in a sense, all that beautiful action in those movies kind of obscured what the movies were about in the first place, which is why, uh, you know, at a certain ideological level, uh, the matrix movies are about failure and they are failures. They're mm. about how hard it is to bring about change and then they failed to bring about the sort of change that one would want. I mean, they, they definitely changed culture. And I would say they were very effective uh, for some people about opening conversation. I mean, from the first movie, people were like, oh, as a trans person or as a non-binary person, I identify with this movie. Back when those conversations were only being had in like small in communities on the communities. internet. Yeah. Yeah, 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 People recognized that from the beginning. But they were co-opted by the larger culture, which is what this movie is about, that all things can be co-opted and that doesn't necessarily make those things bad. In a sense, even as they are a refutation of the earlier movies, they're also a defense of them because it's like, you know, of course they were co-opted. That doesn't make them bad movies. It's just, you know, there's a limit to what you can do. And and in a sense, that's what this movie is about, too. I, I don't know. I, I My worry, I think also we might have had different worries going in. My worry going in was the opposite problem. 
I was ready for this movie to be a very visually interesting and stunning film that was stupid because the idea <laughs> of a sequel is stupid. And so why are we doing this? It's stupid. And what I got was not that. What I got was a very insightful, intelligent movie in my mind that has stupid elements that are on purpose. It's making fun of itself. And I fucking loved it. And I love that about it. Uh, is it as exciting as I want? No, but I, this is my problem always is that like, as they continue to try to conceptualize the idea that uh, Neo is a part of the matrix in the sense that he is constrained by the ultimate plans of the machines. Mm. He is beyond the matrix because his power of perceiving the matrix is not there gives him this sort of power over it. Right. I think the sequels fail to convey that conceptually. It's one of the reasons that I don't like them. I think they ultimately can't visually give you what they promise. They just can't because they have to be exciting. And every time those movies get exciting, I think they are failures at in, in the end, the final matrix movie, every moment in the matrix should be boring to watch. Neo isn't constrained by the matrix. He could just snap his fingers and it doesn't exist. And it's not what it is, you know, and every plot device they got to justify him still doing Kung Fu was stupid. It was a failure of writing. <laughs> it was dumb. And I know everyone bought into it because they thought it was cool. There were twins and shit, but no, it was dumb. <laughs> I'm sorry, y'all. I hate to be the ruiner of your, of your sequels, but that's the reality is that, and, and I say that I'm, I'm exaggerating because I don't actually think the Wachowskis were dumb then or dumb now. Uh, but I think part of this movie is acknowledgement. Like there were limitations in the form and, 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 you know, they're working around it and refocusing on what matters to them, which is, um, well, to her, because the other sister was not involved and didn't want to be involved at all. Um, but I think it succeeds in really being a commentary on itself. And, and it's really interesting in that way. And still, like, move me, man. Like, I cried. I cried watching yeah. this Matrix. Yeah. And I and I didn't feel that way about either of the sequels at all. Wow. If wow. I was going to be emotional in either of the sequels, it was going to be my rage at how frustrating <laughs> I found them. That's not true. I, I I don't dislike them as much as I play up, but I do think like I'm more on the negative side than the positive side, which I think is some some sort of commentary people make about the Matrix sequels. Is like people are either really into them or really not into them. Yeah. Yeah. No, nah, I missed it. I don't know. Well, maybe it, maybe it's a commentary fine. on my inability to see certain things or conceptualize no, 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 no. certain concepts no no, no 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 i just, I just think I, well also we i mean that's fine there's people disagree that's not a big deal yeah i just no, think that's true but but i do think like that's i i think because the movie i went in worried it was going to be something else that when it actually was what i kind of wanted it kind of worked for me in that sense you know uh, i do no. think it's messy let me be clear i don't think it had to look bad <laughs> I don't think it had to look like a TV show. Uh, and I don't think the action had to be, I think the action had to at some point become about Neo having certain kinds of powers. But when I, the fighting that is in the movie, which is Neo sort of warming up to who he is and, and getting reacquainted with his powers, that could have still been mid shot or wide shot. Like there's just some visually stunning moments that they weren't able to recreate in this movie. But again, I'm not convinced that those earlier movies got at some of the ideas because we were so distracted by bullet time, which is literally commented on in this movie. That yeah. bullet time became more important than than anything else. And it became a yoke. I get it. It's cool. Yeah. 
Yeah, no. That's it. I also saw Spider-Man um, No Way Home, and I, I haven't, got, haven't gotten to see it yet. I really want to see it so bad, but I just, with me, like, I'm, I only feel comfortable at this point, y'all, going to a matinee, you know? Mm. And if I'm going to go to a matinee, it's probably not going to be during the Christmas break where kids are going to matinees. I really want it to be, like, January work week, and I go to a matinee, because I'm not trying to sit in a theater and get that dang Omicron, like... Uh, yeah, Omicron. I don't know what it's like in Philly right now, but all around me, people be getting it. My cousins got it. Like people mm. I know nearby got it. I'm just mm. like, you know, I I got my N95 man. I got a box. I got two boxes of N95s. I'm only <laughs> going to the grocery store with my N95 on, and I'm telling people to keep out of my space. Like I'm yeah. not, I'm just not trying to fuck around right now. And again, I get it. Like Omicron apparently is maybe less intense than the other stuff, but. As a diabetic, I'm just I'm doing everything I can to avoid it still. So I will go to a theater. I'm not that worried. You know, I got my booster and stuff, so I'm not that worried. But mm. you know, when when it came out, every screening around me was sold out, man. Like every screening yeah. Yeah, was yeah, sold yeah. out. We had to get we had to get tickets like two days later during the week. Yeah. So that <laughs> you know, I went and saw West Side Story instead. There were four people in the theater. That was Which more I my vibe. I still have to see, and I really, really, Bro, really love that movie. Fucking yeah. Now, granted, I'm a little biased because I'm less in love with the original than I think other people mm. are. But for me, it's per- it was perfect. It was a it was it was I, it was perfect up until Ansel Elgort, but he doesn't ruin the movie. Okay, all right, say no more, fam. I'm, I'm ready to watch it. I gotta see it. It's funny because one of my most favorite movies of all time. I was very much like, man, if it wasn't for Ansel Elgort, this movie would be great. And I was kind of uh, bummed a little bit on that. But then you know, Alonzo Duralde on. Uh, linoleum knife pointed out nobody likes the original for that white guy either like in, in yeah. both movies the the you know tony's not the way why you're seeing the movie no that's mm. just the reality you know so yeah yeah it's natalie wood 100 yeah, yeah yeah so anyway mm. Mm. anyway what else you got so, anything else <clears throat> no that's cool that's all i got okay well <laughs> i guess we'll take a break We'll mend our wounds arguing about the Matrix. <laughs> and then we'll come back and talk about uh, two movies that bring us many nostalgic feels. Yes. We're going to be talking about Bloodsport and we're going to be talking about Conan the Barbarian after the break. when the oceans drank Atlantis and the rise of the sons of Arius, there was an age undreamed of. And on to this, Conan, destined to bear the jeweled crown of Aquilonia upon a troubled brow. It is I, his chronicler, who alone can tell thee of his saga. Let me tell you of the days of high adventure.
we're back. So today we're going to be talking about nostalgia, nostalgic movies that really meant something to us in our younger years. And maybe they might still mean a thing or two in our later years. So, Liam, you picked Conan the Barbarian and I, I did. picked Bloodsport. We picked action movies, <laughs> which I think is pretty cool. And uh, yeah, why'd you pick Conan, Liam? Uh, you know, we were just sort of brainstorming and I was thinking, what's a movie I've watched so much that it feels a part of my being, but it's not like a pride. Like there are some movies that you love that you tell people um, and you, it makes you feel cool. You know, like, yeah, you know, I love on the waterfront, but if I say on mm. the waterfront, that's like a flex, you know, and yeah. I didn't and I didn't love on the waterfront when I was eight. You know no. what I'm saying? No, no, no. Yeah. But Conan the Barbarian, I've loved since day one, since seeing it. I, I, don't, I don't even know how I first saw it. If I rented it, maybe, or if I saw it on uh-huh. UHF, you know what I mean? Like, I don't fucking know. But I've seen it so many times. I've seen both the edited and unedited versions. I've also seen Conan the Destroyer a million times as well. Yeah. But I think I've seen Conan the Destroyer more. Simply because Conan the Destroyer was the movie that was out on HBO when yeah. we first got HBO. Yeah. And it was well, like you it was on every two hours. Well, Destroyer is more of a popcorn movie. It's stupid. Yeah. It has more like goofy fun elements. It's and Grace it's, Jones is in it. And but but I'll tell you what, like if if you're someone who only saw these movies when you're a kid and you go back for the rewatch, right? Uh-huh. <clears throat> Conan the Destroyer is the movie that's going to let you down a little bit because it's a little yeah. less good than you remember. And Conan the Barbarian is going to like surprise you, especially if because you are familiar so with it. it's got so much more to it than it's, you it's were looking at It's way better than you realize. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's got so many people in it. Oh, my that's God. That's the thing. Like, here's the thing, right? Like, Conan the Destroyer, it was like the second one, and it was 100% the, the popcorn movie, right? But <clears throat> on, further, on another rewatch... There are so many problems with that movie. It's unbelievable. It's stupid. It's a dumb movie. It's it's fun. Will but it's a Chamberlain dumb movie. in there, and his character's name is Bombata. Oh god! Say what? Oh, and when you are introduced to Grace Jones' character, she's tied to a tree stump and being poked at with spears. Like, say what? Like, hold it's, on. It's just the 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 it. It's got so many, so many, so many well, things. Let's let's let me let me just let me just back up here too and say this right. For me, Conan the Barbarian is the ultimate fantasy film. This for me is what a fantasy film is. Now, granted, uh, it definitely fits more into the sword and sandal tradition, which mm. I would argue a lot of fantasy recently does not. Post Lord of the Rings. Right. Yeah. Fantasy means something different. Post Lord of the Rings and of right. course post Game of Thrones. That right, we're right, we're right. getting something different. Um and that's fine. I don't have anything against that stuff. Well, uh, uh, let me say this. For me, when if someone says, you know, what do you think of what do you think of fantasy? This is it, man. Robert Howard yeah. and the Conan movies, the Conan comic books, the Conan books. For me, this is fantasy. This is what I want from fantasy. This is what I get from fantasy. This is what I think of with fantasy. And like, honestly, at this point, like the nostalgia that other people feel for the Lord of the Rings movies, I just don't feel it, man. Like mm. they're fun. I can put them on and they're fine, but they don't affect me the way that Conan the fucking barbarian does. They just don't. Mm. Whereas Conan the destroyer, that's what people think of when they think of these kind of movies, especially the many movies that came after that ripped off 
Conan the Barbarian. They're all, if they're lucky, they're as good as Conan the Destroyer. You know, a lot of them (laughs) can't even reach that fucking level. Like they are just, we got a muscle guy and a sword. He'll just run around or whatever. But like just at a set design level, let alone, I mean, let's, uh, first and foremost, let's just say this up front. And I think you'll agree with me. The star of the Conan the Barbarian is the soundtrack. Period. Yeah. End of sentence. 100%. 100%. I, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, whatever, sure, fine. Max von Sydow, of course. James Earl Jones, of course. But really, it's not even Milius's set designer and, and Which fucking- Which is already, a, the set design is unbelievable, next, given that they built so many things in the, this movie. Between, there is a gulf of set, for me, when it comes to fantasy at least, if not other kinds of movies, there is a gulf between Conan the Barbarian and Lord of the Rings. That no fantasy film can even touch these fucking movies when it comes to set design. But then that soundtrack, man, it does so much work. It it, it is carrying this fucking movie on its back, which sounds like an insult, and it's not. I I can proudly say that it it's doing a lot of work and it's it's okay that it's doing that work. Yeah, there's a little trivium about it in the IMDB talking about how this is the first movie where they used a program that um played the music to the tempo of the action that was happening on screen. It was like a new program at the time. And uh, that was why the music is like super like tied into the action that's happening on the sequence while it's playing. The, the, the key huge. for that, the key for that for me, like there's a few climactic scenes in the movie, but the key for that with the music that I've always found so fascinating is the orgy scene, right? There's music mm-hmm. that goes along with the orgy scene. Then there's a change of the music as they start to uh, enact violence, right? But then there's a whole change that feels like a movement change when they, they've they sort of been killing all these people uh, uh, surreptitiously, right? But then mm. the big guys, the, the assistants to Tulsa Doom come storming yeah. in. The and football Con- player and the wrestler. Guy. Yeah, and Conan goes to pour over the big vat of body parts. The music changes. It feels like a whole other movement. It feels like a different sort of piece of an opera. That music change has fascinated me since I was a child because I'd never seen a film. It's all one scene. And the, and yeah. the film goes, oh yeah, now it's going to get fucking dark. So we're going to switch gears entirely. It's amazing. It's, it's just a magical moment in the film. Plus there's fucking body parts in the green stew. It's unbelievable. <laughs> it's insane. Man. Yeah. So the tidbit is this Basil Polidorus made extensive use of Musync, M-U-S-Y-N-C, a music and tempo editing hardware and software system, which modified the tempo of his compositions and synchronized them with the action in the film. Conan was the first film to use the system. And it's very apparent that like it's so effective because you're right. It's not a diss to say that the soundtrack carries a lot of the emotional gravity of the film. Yeah. And it's so cool. It's yeah. so cool. You can't now, watch this movie and not be moved by the music. I think, I think one one of the things I think is a turnoff for people of this movie as compared to some of the cheaper knockoffs is that um, it's a languid film for a lot of it that like the whole first hour, like it starts off action packed the the slaughter of, of Conan's village, which um, I, by the way, read a, uh, you know, there people may not know this. There are Conan scholars, right? Because, <laughs> you know, Robert Howard was a big part of American literature for a while. Um, yeah. And, and his story is kind of tragic. You know, he wrote all these stories uh, living with his parents in his twenties. And uh, his, his section of Conan stories ended 
uh, when he turned 30 and committed suicide. Holy shit. Yeah, it's it's dark. It's super dark. And the reality is uh, a lot of Conan scholars think that of all the, you know, Robert Howard didn't actually write Conan origin stories. Everything was Conan's an adult, right? Uh, Mm. There's early Conan and later Conan, but it's all as he's an adult. It was his later uh, progenitors, people who carried on the name, who wrote all the Conan origin stories. And I read a couple of things that argued that this film is actually the most complete and competent Conan origin story of any of them. And I, and I, I, you know, I've only read a few, but I, I agree. I think it really works. It really sets it up. Right. And Mm. what, what I see in this, and I I wanted to bring this up to you because I think you would agree with me. It's clear to me from the way that this movie operates at the beginning, uh, uh, setting up who Kenan is that John Milius liked martial arts movies. He did. Yeah. I mean, like there's so many Asian people in this movie. Right. But even the idea of like Filipinos in this movie, the idea that he's made hard at that grindstone, that I mean, imagine how many kung fu masters just punched a board. Like in those yeah. films, like there are these physical activities you do that make you hard, you know. Yeah, and and that's true. that's what he, you know, he's the lone survivor of this grill, this grill, this mill of death, this grinding mill of death. He, it's he's been grinding whatever he's grinding, millet, wheat, whatever but it's been grinding him into a hard stone of a man. I just think all that opening stuff, I, I think a lot of people find it slow. I think it's magical. I think it's some of the most beautiful filmmaking in the movie. Yeah. Um, I will say the scene where uh, he's being kept in a cage and he's basically given a woman to, to, to a sexually assault for breeding purposes. Unnecessary. I, I get that part of the, Part of the charm of this film for people is how much unnecessary nudity is in it. But I, I think that whole scene, it's, you know, there's there's only two, considering this was made, uh, let me back up a little bit and say, one of the interesting things about this movie is that the script is by Oliver Stone, known lefty Oliver Stone, and then directed by John Milius, a man who claims he's been black barred from Hollywood because of his fascist tendencies, uh, known right wing uh, nut John Milius, which... I think it's less present in this film than you would think. Uh, really, you get his right wing stuff from Red Dawn, his other big movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. So sure. you've got the script by this lefty guy. You've got directed by this right wing dude, right? And yet there's only two moments of this movie made in 1982, the height of embarrassing shit that I find yeah. embarrassing. It's that moment in the cage. And uh, then when, when he's being seduced by the, by the creeper gay priest guy, because oh, yeah. I think, and he beats I think him in, up for his robe. Yeah. I think in 2021, we can look at that and go, well, that's just one guy that doesn't represent all gay people. But in 1982, I don't fucking know, man. Like there were a yeah, lot of those kind of characters. Say, yeah. yeah. So but maybe, it's really funny when you, th- when like that whole cult part, when like he's yes, with those yes, flower children, yes. bit, when you consider Milius is like right wing oh, tendency and castigation yeah. oh, of like I'm sh- I, counterculture. I mean, I think this is, this is what it is, right? Oliver Stone clearly wrote that cult as a, uh, as a, a hippie onus. Like that's, well, but but I think Oliver Stone's like original idea for for Tulsa Doom because he made up Tulsa Doom whole cloth. That's not a Conan character at all. Yeah, um, that guy's clearly meant to be a critique of all religion and especially of megalomaniac cult people. The idea yeah. of making them flower power and kind of Buddhist is probably coming from Milius. So, but I think that marriage is kind because of, nothing about Tulsa Doom says 
flower power Buddhist. Like nothing yeah, about it's all snaky. Yeah, snaky yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then but then when he when when it comes to to Milius filling out the cult, filling out the details of what was probably a sketch he's taking from, he makes it about these fucking hippies. You know what I mean? But it's or e- even that orgy, right? It's an orgy, but also they're cannibals. There's something about that. You know, we're using each other's bodies. It's very sort of, you know, uh, uh, touchy feely hippie, but then they're also eating flesh. You know, there, mm. the, the, there's a lot of that going on in the movie. Like, uh, you know, you've got the Milius strands, which kind of, you know, Howard was writing all this stuff in his parents' fucking basement. Probably. I don't know if he was in the basement, but at his parents' house, <laughs> a lot of it's about freedom, right? Conan is the barbarian who refused to be anyone's slave really. Right. Yeah. But then in this movie, it's like, there's a lot of that going on, but there's also a lot of Conan having to learn to work with other people. Like, yeah. like, or really, just learn in general. Yeah. That, like, he's learning not to be such an ignorant jerk off, basically. Yeah. And, Honestly, and, Conan's character arc from the beginning of this movie to the end, of course, it goes from childhood to, you know, whatever, but sure. like, for the meat of the movie, it really is an impressive character study, honestly. Well, and it like, promises more, right? Like, like, yeah. Has there ever been, for me, there's never been a movie that promised a more interesting sequel than showing Conan as the sad king at the end. Because you're when the movie ends, you're like, well, it's not clear how this guy gets to be the sad king. Sad he, king he, Conan, yeah. He's grown. He's definitely become a different person. But he's not anything like this Conan we're seeing. I don't know if you remember, but about 15 years ago, there was a there was a big petition to try to get uh, Schwarzenegger to do Conan the King. Yeah. And and he was he was into it, but they just couldn't find the money. And no one wants to work with Milius anymore. It was part of the problem. Right. Basically. But man, I think I think old Conan, old Conan, old Schwarzenegger playing Conan. He's too old now. But Schwarzenegger of like 15 years ago playing Conan the King. Fuck, man. I think that would have been sick. I think it would have been so So good. It would have been so rad. Yeah. That's like the the one sequel that we never got that I was always like, yeah, that would be so awesome. It's that and Buckaroo Banzai versus the World Crime Organization. I agree. I agree. Man, if we got those movies, I would I would die a happy man for sure. So, yeah, I mean, I guess we've talked a lot around this movie. I guess there might be people listening who've never seen it, and we've already talked a lot around it. But let's just say, if you're not familiar with Conan, the, the whole idea is here's a guy who has no community. His whole village has just been destroyed. He's afloat in this prehistoric world. It's like, you know, if you're thinking Middle Ages, no, 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 no. This is not no. Middle Ages. This is a, a land before time. And all of his stories is always Conan hates magic and he hates kings and he hates authority and he just wants to live his life. And this is set during the time when he's still an ignorant thief. Eventually he becomes like a mercenary and a general and an adventurer. But at this point he's a thief and he, he runs into this, this cult of set, uh, which it's not quite like it is in the books. Uh, I, I haven't read all the Conan stories, but uh, you know, this version feels a little bit different than some of the stuff I've read, but it does a lot of the stuff that happens in the movie borrows from other stories, but eventually it becomes its own thing, which he falls in with a group of thieves. They go to rescue this King's daughter. Who's fallen under the, the, the spell of the, the spell of Tulsa doom. And of course, yeah. Tulsa doom is the guy who destroyed Conan's family. So Conan is trying to, trying to, 
balance his own self-interest with his strong desire for revenge for the death of his of his people. And uh, you know, th- there's there's a moment, you know, at a certain point Kone gets crucified, but he lives, which feels like a real <laughs> fuck you to Jesus Christ. Yeah. Like, I, like I really think Milius was like, yeah, fuck that Jesus guy. Kone lives. He gets crucified. <laughs> he lives. Hippie. Yeah. The fucking hippie. Uh, you know, and 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 you can easily point to moments of this movie that might be very much infused with Milius's own like weird libertarian bullshit, but it never poisons the movie. The movie stands on its own and you know, I, one of the things I love about the film to some extent is it's a very masculine film. It's a very, uh, you know, manly film, but you know, Conan doesn't fall in love until he meets a woman who's as strong, if not stronger than he is, you know, that character is not weak. He, (laughs) one of the things about, you know, there is a version of patriarchy that's like this. That's like women should be as strong as men, you know, but that's a less common, the, the general, you know, the usual form of patriarchy is men are strong so that women can be weak, right? Uh, which is fucked. I mean, all that gender stuff is fucked, whatever way you slice it. But this version is far less offensive than if Conan was just going around and there were all these helpless maidens. It's like <laughs> this version at least allows for the idea that a woman can be. And, 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 you know, in the books, I think you get complicated versions of women. You get strong characters and weak characters. Uh, but, but this version, at least in my mind, at least is, is a strong character. I don't think that makes the film feminist at all. I'm not trying to say that in any way, shape or form. This is a very much a masculine movie, but I do like the idea that he meets this woman who is as strong as him, who he yeah. idolizes and who even in death saves his dumb ass. Uh, yeah. you know, there's something about that that I think is, is valuable, even if, you know, it falls short of the cock worship that this movie is, you know, <laughs> it's a sword fight cock worship, dude. Yeah, it the is. whole thing is phallic, yeah. and, and I, but it's still, it doesn't feel as as like. Like you said, it doesn't feel as like crappy. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like it doesn't right. have that the trapping of like. Ugh, it could of, be. Uh, it could be a lot worse than what it is for sure. Yeah, and I, I do think, think it's, it's funny that Valeria was Spangle in Hell Comes to Frogtown. Oh, perfect! <laughs> like, Fucking oh, yeah. perfect! <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, there we go. When I was a kid, that was the most beautiful woman in the world, as far as I was concerned. Until I thought I, she was Judith Light from uh, <laughs> from uh, from uh, the Tony Danza TV show. Different oh, person, turns out. Yes, no, different person. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I had a huge crush on her. I think until I saw Labyrinth, and then I had a huge crush on Jennifer Conley, which, Conley, which yeah. you know went on into her becoming an adult. But uh, but when I was a kid, I was just like the lady from Conan. Holy shit, you know, like yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. and and partly because she was so strong, you know, like that was part yeah. of it, you know. Um, but yeah, you know, I I love uh, I love the the weird world that we're in, where we have these Nordic types and. Uh, Asian folks and it's like everyone in the world intermixing. And, and, you know, I think to some extent that is supposed to speak to some sort of primordial whatever, I guess, but it's a more realistic version of how the world actually was, you know, this idea that everyone was separated and no one knew about other people. That's not real. Y'all, that's not really how it was at all. That that there was, you know, not that everyone knew about every other group of people in the world, but they did know that they weren't alone, that there were other types of folks. And there's lots of evidence of all of that. Um, and so, like, I, I like that aspect of the film. But I think no one watches Conan, I hope, no one watches Conan and think, this is history. 
You yes, know what I mean? Please. This I is mean, all- I've been surprised by weird libertarians more these days, so you never can tell. But also, it's just like I don't even know what to say, man. It's what what what, what Howard at least what, what Howard at least intended was only that this was a time after the fall of Atlantis. Atlantis has mm. sunk into the water, but that's it. And I don't think he really thought it was just a fun fantasy thing, but you know, there, there's a lot of themes going on here and I, and I like that. Um, I don't know, man, I, I don't know about you, but this holds up. I watched it today. This holds up for me, except for, like I said, a couple of things here and there that mm. probably represent Milius being a bit of a, of a jerk off. I think overall Milius has some strong attributes as a director and he was so concerned with the artistry of what he was doing that whatever his own politics were didn't come into play. Not like they do in Red Dawn. You know, Red Dawn is basically a fucking fascist film. Propaganda. Yeah. Yeah. So bizarre. Yeah. But you know, it's funny. One of the more affecting scenes in Conan and it still hit me um, when I did the the rewatch for this episode is when Conan's mom gets killed by Thulsa Doom. Because, like, you know, as a kid growing up, my mom was a nurse who worked overnight in Philadelphia. And we lived in Cherry Hill, right? And uh, it was the kind of thing where, like, you know, I've heard so many horror stories growing up as a kid about Philadelphia. And I just would worry about my mom. And then, like, seeing Conan's mom get killed while he's holding her hand, it definitely, like, struck a chord with, like, young Joey. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, oh. So um, on rewatch, I was like, man, I saw it happen again, and it still bugged me out, and still like oh, was like one hundred percent. It's and, one uh, of those. It's one of those moments that reminds you that this is partly an artistic endeavor. This isn't just about boobs and swords, though. There yeah, are no. boobs and swords and blood. Like all that has to be there for the movie to work for the audience. It's it's courting, but there are moments of high art, and that is one of them. It's it's and, an unbelievable moment. But it's crazy though because I looked up that actress that played Conan's mom. In this movie, and her name's uh, her name is Najuska, and yeah, N A D I U S K A Najuska, and she was um, she was an actress in the eighties and all that, and she was like a German and something model. She was like a some type of like white people model lady, you know what I mean? Like yeah. she's a really yeah. beautiful woman, even in that scene, like she's gorgeous, you know, and like all the scenes before that too, and. Um, one of the factoids on IMDb about her is that she's still alive, but she's been diagnosed with schizophrenia and she's been living in a mental institution in Spain. Oh, wow. I know. And it was like, it made it so much more of a bummer. It was like, yeah, fuck man, that's brutal. But yeah, that scene still affected me on rewatch of like the hundredth time having seen this movie, just like it did the first time I saw it. And that's because I guess I'm a mama's boy, which I'm okay with. It's not the worst thing I've been, you know what I'm saying? So it's like this, one of those scenes uh, when it no, happened, totally. I still held my breath. I was like, Whoa. there are so, all know. the moments where, where the music is like crashing, like dun, 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 yeah. dun, dun, and Conan is like flexing with his sword. Like when I think of non-martial arts action, that's what uh-huh. I fucking think of when I think of like yeah. warriors. That's what I fucking, I don't think of knights. I certainly don't think of, <laughs> I, don't, I certainly don't think of fucking Aragorn or whatever the fuck in Lord of the Rings. Like the strider. No, that's not what I think of at all. That's not it. It is shirtless Arnold Schwarzenegger with his, and, it's, <laughs> and what's crazy is like, I don't even love Arnold like that. Like there are not that many Arnold movies. I idolize really. Mm-hmm. But this fucking movie, man, and I really yeah. think, I really think if there's, it, it, it's the music, right? It's James Earl Jones who's fucking haunting in this movie. He is 
such a bad dude in this movie. It's He's so such a good fucking terrifying. Yeah. But it's also just the idea that Milius like is idolizing Schwarzenegger's body. Like he is yeah. obsessed with it and he knows how to use it in this film where Arnold, there are so many movies where people want Arnold to seem tough and he just seems like a lumbering asshole where you like, you watch him fight people and you're like, there's no way that guy would kick Arnold's stupid ass. But in this movie, you believe that Conan is a master swordsman. You believe that he is fucking destroying. And somehow in some of the scenes, you're like, oh, is Conan going to be okay? Like you really are (laughs) like, what? Like, come on. Like, that's unbelievable. It's just like, I don't know. There's just something about the way that he films Arnold in this movie that this is one of those few movies where I really think like, yeah, this is Arnold at his best. And it, and, 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 uh, it's not right. There are some movies, you know, that remember that movie, that zombie movie that Arnold did. I thought he was really good in. Yeah. 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 He's done other things where he's better as an actor. But if, if you're talking about the, the icon, this is the movie that uses the icon, the best, the best. I agree. I agree. Yeah, man. This is the one that's, it's the one movie that focuses on Arnold's body in such a way that that's the role, right? Like think about Terminator, like his body's in it. Like, yeah, we're showing Arnold strong and all that. He's naked, but it's also just like, it's more about the robot inside, right? It's not about like the, this, like you said, the icon, this is the icon for that particular genre. hundred percent agree. So good. <sighs> man, so good. okay. I'm sure there's more critical things to say, and I do worry that there are people stoked on fascism who watch this who maybe get something from it. I mean, it's the strength mm-hmm. of the individual or some shit. But when I see that ending, man, uh, it's haunting and sad, right? Yeah, and I, and, and really, so like brutal. I, you know, obviously Milius doesn't have respect for these fucking cultists, right? But uh, the ending respects their experience. Each of them putting the light out in the pool. That's actually like a that's a ceremony, man. That's a fucking yeah. it, it 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 is and maybe he didn't intend it that way, but it's one of the most haunting moments of the movie is the way that wraps up. It is I don't know, there's just something about it that like s- still speaks to me to this day. And there's a lot of moments like that. Yes, there are silly goofy things. Arnold por- punches out a camel. Haha, ha, yeah, funny. He, he punches out a camel. Soup. Yeah. Yeah, okay. all that yeah, yeah. All that's funny and whatever. But if you don't if you don't find moments of this movie, like the death of his mom Stern. or yeah. the, 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 the fight at the, at the shrine, all that yeah. stuff. It's, it's an unbelievable film. It still sticks with me. And I will show it to people with pride and say, this is one of the <laughs> movies that made me even with its flaws and it's stupid shit. this is a made movie that made me who I am. Yeah. 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 That's <laughs> what it is, man. Yeah. The next time anyone out there, the next time we're hanging out in real life, if you know me in real life, just start. Bum, 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 bum. I will fuck it. My eyes will light up and I'll just start. I'll start doing the sword poses that fucking Arnold does. The sword poses are so good. Dun, dun. Man. There's, oh, man. I, here's, a, here's a real tragedy. I don't have that soundtrack on vinyl. I need to get the Conan soundtrack on vinyl. I don't know why I don't have it, but I, I want it and I want to listen to it all the fucking time. While you're walking to the grocery store with your N95 on. Yeah, but then I might start like (laughs) moshing people out or something. I don't know. Start swinging around and stuff like I'm a fucking warrior. So good. So good. All right. All right. Now, my movie, 1988's Bloodsport. 
I mean, was there a more divisive character than JCVD in the 80s? Like, think about the span of this career, right? Like, he went from, like, No Retreat, No Surrender to, like, this to Hard Target, like, Time Cop. Come on, man. Like uh, Kickboxer, which is almost the same film. Oh, my God. Kickboxer and Lionheart and this movie are basically the same movie. And yeah, they're all I the same fully admit that. I'm okay with it, is the thing. This movie has Ogre from Revenge of the Nerds in it. <laughs> and uh, so where are you with this movie, Liam? Like, clearly, I love this movie enough to have picked it. And uh, I just like chanting Kumite, baby. And, I mean, come on, man. Like, Chong Lee in this movie? AKA Brian Yan, that shit is still great to me. Oh my God. What a good bad guy. If, so great. Let's let's relate this to music nostalgia, right? right? If if Conan for me is like uh is like Madball set it off. Yeah, it's uh-huh. of a time, it's a nostalgia piece, but I fucking stand by it, man. I'm not ashamed. I'll stand by uh-huh. that shit. Yeah. Bloodsport is more like the E-Town concrete demos. Like yeah, awesome. I, yeah, I know it and I know the words, but like, well, I'm fucking bummed. I'm bummed on it. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. I feel like saying sorry for it. Uh, you know, the, the thing with JCVD is he was important to me the way he's important to a lot of people. Like he was part of my getting into action cinema. But like, yeah, I saw Time Cop, I saw Kickboxer, I saw Bloodsport. But eventually, I was like. You know, who cares about JCVD? There's actual Asian people doing this stuff that are much better at it than this short little French asshole. Um, <laughs> and, and so, like, I have I have turned on much the way I've turned on a New Jersey bloodline. I have turned on JCVD in every way, shape and form. Uh, the exception of like there was that one. Uh, what Meta was that? JCVD called yeah, JCVD yeah, movie yeah, where he's yeah. like conscious of his own like yeah that's 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 okay and uh, one of the one of the one of the uh, what is what are those like Ultimate Soldier movies? There's like a later one that's oh, pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the um, I forget the one. The first one was with Kurt Russell. Yeah, but the, the the there's a later one with JCVD that's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, so that you know whatever. That being said, so like, you know, we talked about this when we had Justin Liberty on and we watched the the JCVD and fucking uh, what's his name? Oh, uh, the, we watched um, double, double team, double team or yeah. the one with uh, with the with the Detroit Pistons. Yeah. Yes, yes, Chicago yes. Bull. Yes. Can't think of his name right now. Yeah. Uh, Dennis Rodman. Yeah. 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 So like I said then like JCVD, whatever. Fuck that shit. Whatever. I got to be honest, Josh, rewatching Bloodsport, there was some nostalgia for me. I went into this being like, this isn't fair. I've picked an all-time classic, and Josh has picked kind of a, like a, a mildly amusing midnight movie. But rewatching it, there's some real there's some real heart-pumping moments in Bloodsport. I, if, if you're going to defend JCVD, for those people out there willing to defend this asshole, Go to Bloodsport, man. Go to Bloodsport. It's one of the ones I would say Bloodsport. I would say Hard Target. I don't know about Time Cop though. That's some bullshit. You know, yeah, it's a terrible movie. I gotta yeah, say, yeah, with with, sure. with Time bad. Cop, with Time Cop, they definitely were like, oh, what about all that? Uh, what about all that uh, paradox shit with time travel? They just go, nah, nah. There's no paradox. Oh, okay, yeah, just cool. Make them do a split. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Show yeah. the buns. Show the uh, buns. But but I I think there is something about but the thing about Bloodsport is Bloodsport is the it is the best option. Let's be clear. This movie, Bloodsport, white guy goes to fight in a in a in a fucking uh, 
underground, uh, underground martial arts con- competition. They made this movie six times, dude. There are 20 yeah. versions of this movie with different white guys in the role. It's the same movie every time. Lionhearted, Kickboxer, uh, a bunch of ones that we've covered on the Vic Diaz podcast. It's, <laughs> it's just a different white guy in the same role. Uh-huh, uh-huh. For my money, Bloodsport is the best one. It is hands down so far, and I've now watched like six of these movies, it is the best possible option. And part of that is the dude from Revenge of the Nerds. He's part of yeah. it. He's, He's part so of why great. it's fun. I'm not going to lie. It's slightly less racist than a lot of those other movies. Like there's a lot of like a white guy lost in yellow peril sort of sort of thing. <laughs> this movie has a little less of that. It's still kind of racist. I'm a little surprised that you picked it in some ways, but it's less racist than some of the other ones. I'll say that. And yeah. and of the movies where JCVD just does a bunch of splits and like kicks in slow motion, it's not so bad. It's kind of okay. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. And now so if, it's not even slow motion. It's yeah. great. But it, but it's if so someone good. wants to lift it up to like a real martial arts movie, they can eat my entire ass. Like this is yeah, not. No, I'm not going to be out here being like, yeah, you know, you like Shaw Brothers have had a little of blood sport on there. You know what I mean? Like, again, we're we're talking about movies that came out in the eight, 1988. I was in uh, fifth grade and I saw this movie somehow around that time, I think with like my older cousins. And here's the funny thing about this movie, Liam, like his handler, dude, the dude who has like the little goatee and mustache that he meets and he's wearing the tracksuit and all that. And the glasses looks like every Ilocano Manung that I've ever known in my entire Filipino life. That is my Manung Ronald. That is my Manung Dandan. That is my Manung. Yo, here's my question. Is this one of those? Is this a Filipino exploitation movie? Is this filmed in the Philippines? No, it's 100% not. But that I didn't know. That dude is 100% like, oh, man. Like, when I was in fifth grade, I remember my mom and Joseph came to our house from Piscataway, New Jersey, down to Cherry Hill to buy a car from my dad, and it was a Celica. And I just remember mom and Joseph would come down, and he <laughs> wiped this Toyota Celica down that was, like, tan, and he, he wiped it down with, like, a baby diaper. It was hilarious. And then when that dude comes up in the movie, I'm like, oh, shit, mom and Joseph's in this movie. <laughs> so good. And, like, the... The movie is dumb. I'm not going to make any justification for any of it. There are parts in this movie that are so nonsensical, like the whole chase sequence with, first of all, Forrest Whitaker and the other white cop chasing JCPD. Ridiculous. Fucking ridiculous. Oh, my God. And it's played like a rom-com. Like, JCVD is mugging the whole time. Like, he's just, like, winking at the camera. It's unbelievable. And as I watched it now, I was like, yeah, that shit is bad. Like, there's no way around but, it. But I, that- do think, but I do think this falls into the movies that are bad but are so fun in their stupidity that they're entertaining. Like, we, we've talked about yeah. this before. No, I, don't I agree. Wa- I don't want to irony watch shit. You know, the worst person no, in the world is a person who goes yeah, to like. I'm not going to sit here total, and be like, haha, isn't that so bad? Yeah. No. The person who goes to like Barbarella or Total Recall screening and tries to laugh out loud the whole time, you know, eat my shit, you know? But yeah, some total movies. Recall rules. Some movies are fun. Barbarella too. In how yeah. bad they are. And that that's part of this. Like, it, there are parts of this movie that kick ass, unapologetically kick ass, and I will not apologize for <laughs> them. 
but there are moments of this movie that are stupid and yet somehow in their stupidity, I find them kind of charming. I don't know. Yeah, man. I mean, isn't that what nostalgia is though? Like are there are these no, moments. There are, it's there not are, ironic. Again, it's genuine love for a thing, right? When, when is that the last time you watched Lionhearted past? though? When is the last time you watched any one of these white dude goes through Kung Fu battle? Most of these movies are unwatchable trash, man. Yeah. There's something about I this movie seen, that's a I honestly have not seen any of those movies like I've seen this one because I like this one. I haven't seen um what's the Naksun Kao one? The other one, the kickboxer. I haven't seen Lionheart. I haven't seen I'm telling any you right, of those I'm telling you right so now. Long. I'm telling you right now. Uh start a Vic Diaz podcast. Cause guess what? Most of these movies <laughs> are not this movie. This shit. movie was filmed in uh in Hong Kong and in the Kowloon Walled City. Like this this movie was actually filmed. Most of these movies are meant to be in Hong Kong, but they're filmed in Manila or they're yeah. filmed in somewhere else in the Philippines. And they all have Vic Diaz as the villain in them. And they're <laughs> terrible and mildly racist. I, I, I say terrible. Uh, the worst of them actually are boring and racist, you know, because the martial arts is like half-assed. This movie has some <laughs> actual ass kicking in it. Like again, not as good as Bolo a Jackie Young, Chan come film. On. Bolo Young was in fucking right. enter the dragon. Dude, that shit is, he's still a beast. And if you watch that shit and you're not at least a little bit terrified, also when he stomps out Ogre, like yes. that shit is hardcore. It is. I agree. <laughs> it's brutal. It's like, oh, uh, honestly, the funny thing is when we were discussing what we're going to be doing for this movie, I found a, co- uh, a koozie that Ralph from uh, Awesome Dudes had given me and it just said Kumite a bunch of times on it. <laughs> I was like... I Yo, love man, that. That movie love still that. rules. <laughs> That's why. So shout out to the other screen printers in PA. Awesome dudes printing at Sixth and Reed. And my boy Ralph, Pink Bike Ralph, he gave me a koozie for a can so my hand doesn't get cold. And it just said Kumite on it six times. And that's what made me think about this movie when we were talking about it. But that said, dude, on rewatch, I still fucking love this movie. I don't give a shit. The whole tournament thing with all the different styles of fighting, like there's the Muay Thai dude in there that's doing the whole Muay Thai thing. I mean, and- okay, <laughs> I will say if any of JCVD's movies were as good as this one, <laughs> then I would think he was less bullshit. But, you know, it, it, I will... <laughs> Sometimes people lift up this movie and then they're like, yeah, and this is why JCVD is awesome. And it's like, no, man, most of his shit sucks. Like, I, I yeah. don't I don't want my defense of this movie to come across as, like, any less disdain for JCVD, who I think mostly sucks. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, some of this movie is really cool. I like the variety of martial arts stuff. Uh, there, there are other martial artists in this movie that are pretty cool. Uh, IMDb has some facts about various, like, guest appearances by actual martial artists. But, like, let's be clear. This is this is maybe one of the best things that he's that JCVD ever did. And he yeah. tried to recreate the glory of this movie in other movies and mostly failed with only a few exceptions. There's so many funny things in this movie though. Like the white lady in the movie, uh Janice, his love interest in the movie, she's supposed to be a reporter. <laughs> Like, there's nothing about this woman that makes me believe that she's writing for any publication about underground tournament karate fighting in Asia. It's so good. And like there's the scenes where she like like there's the scene when he's like running away from the cops and then like the the local cops are helping Forrest Whitaker and the other white guy catch JCVD. And then she's suddenly there in like an underground tunnel when they're about to shoot him. But since he's bound by honor to the U.S. military, he's like, 
I'll see you on the plane tomorrow. <laughs> so good. And why is this white lady here? Oh, man, there's so many things about this movie that are just like that. Like, what in the hell is why is the why are they fighting on a ramp? Why is Bolo Young going to bring eye powder in his little belt to cheat? Like, that's his cheating idea. Like, oh, I'm going to make JCVD blind. Like, dude, it's there's so many things that are just so ridiculous in this movie. It's I got to say, though, like kid logic. I got to say the best part for me of this movie, Josh is how many people went to the IMDb trivia to let you know that the dim mock is fictional. There are four <laughs> citations in the trivia, making sure you know that dim mock is fictional. What the fuck? Who are these fucking assholes who are like, you know what? That, that shit's not real. I better let people know. I got to go to the trivia and let people know right now. What Other the than fuck? being a record label for a pseudo hardcore adjacent label in the like the late yes, 90s yes. Uh, that was run by Steve Aoki. Like, yeah, Dimock, not a thing. Like, all right, guy, I get it. You know, it's called Hollywood movie magic. What do you want from me? <laughs> I will say that the other option for this role, according to IMDb trivia, was Michael Dudikoff. And uh, I gotta American say, Ninja. I gotta say. Whew. The only possible worst choice that JCVD for this would have been Michael, <laughs> Michael Dudikoff. That dude sucks. Uh, I mean, those American Ninja movies are the shit, though. You can't lie. I can't front. You know what I'm saying? Well, maybe like one. They are not. But- they are not relying on his ch- charisma to sell no. those fucking. No, films. no, 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 not at all. I mean, and also it's funny. Like, okay, so this movie is based on the reputedly disputed. Uh, yeah, this dude made up all this shit. Frank Everything is, is a lie. Yeah, which is hilarious to me. But it reminded me, like, I remember recently I, I was listening to a bootleg of a Tom Waits concert. Oh, and, sure. You know, yeah. Tom Waits. He talks about stuff in between songs that are just so. Uh, I don't even know if there's another word to describe it other than Waitsian. Right, and, uh, he right. Was, he was telling, he was uh, about to play the song, um, I Can't Wait to Get Off of Work to See My Baby. And he talks about how he thought about this song while he was working at a pizza store. And um, what happened was he was a kid. He was like young. And one of the dudes named Sal was like, Tom, you need to clean the bathroom. The toilet's clogged. Use the snake. So Tom Wade's brings like this like metal snake rod and tries to stick it in the toilet and it starts spinning and winding and then comes shooting out of the toilet and it hit the Sal guy in the head and Sal gets knocked out. And Tom Waits thinks that he killed him because like the dude gets knocked down. is just lying down on the floor with blood coming <laughs> out of his head. And he's so he's talking about this song. He's like, it's like that moment when you're watching a movie and the person sitting behind you leans in and says, you know, this is based on a true story. But then you're just left to wonder if that makes the movie any better. <laughs> That's exactly what I thought about when I saw this movie. Like on rewatch, I'm like, you know, I wonder if this being based on an allegedly true story makes any impact on whether or not this is a good movie. And I beg to say that maybe not, <laughs> maybe not at all. And I'm okay with that, you know, because here's the thing, man, I ain't bougie. You know what I'm saying, Liam? That's not me. Your boy's cash bit, money I'm Kensington bit, all day, baby. I'm a bit bougie. I'm okay with it. <laughs> yeah, I'm okay with it, too. I'm just saying, man. You want to talk nostalgia? I have great, fond memories of watching this movie with my brother and with Bad Michael. And it was part of that, like, wave of those 80s movies in the sixth grade, fifth grade, when we were just like, yo, karate is so cool. We should probably take karate classes and become dope and fighters. <laughs> here's the thing i gotta i gotta respect it but part of me feels like it is a jump you know if i had never heard 
25 to life, right? Uh-huh. I would not have been on the journey that eventually brought me to Infest. But right. that don't make 25 to life good. You know what You're I'm right. saying? And I'm not going to defend that this movie is a good movie. I definitely think it was like when you see Forrest Whitaker right. for the first time and he's young, I'm like, God damn. But it's definitely it's definitely on the more enjoyable side. I said 25 to life. Uh, <laughs> but like, you know, Inside Knowledge is a good song. A couple of the tracks <laughs> on the first E-Town Concrete demo are actually pretty good. I like Mandibles. the first Fury. I like, no, Mandible sucks. Fuck you. I like the first <laughs> Fury 5 record. Like, there are things from back in the day that are good. But, like, you would catch me dead before I listen to, like, Second to None now or some shit like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, And, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. the reality is, like, you know, this is pretty good. I get it. It's pretty good. There are probably some moments of kickboxer that are pretty good, but like, don't, <laughs> don't hear us talk about blood sport and then come up in the chat trying to hype up time cop. Like, fuck you. <laughs> that's just not going to fly guys. <laughs> not you know? a thing. Not a yeah. thing. Yeah. But that said, I don't know. Rewatching this movie. It definitely made me happy. And like we said at the beginning of the episode, it's been a pretty grim year for me. I got I agree. Like 10 I pounds agree. of shit. Yes. And, um, you know, watching this movie, on for this episode just brought back these like moments and notions of innocence, these moments and notions of uh, just familial fun. You know what I mean? Like when I think about the fact that like I had these magical times when we'd sleep over at bad Michael's house and uncle Rudy would rent these wild movies that my parents would never let me watch. Like movies like this movies, like maximum overdrive movies, like um, I don't know, alien or uh, King Solomon's minds. Like, these movies were terrible. Well, maybe not Alien, but like these movies I was, were I was about to and say, you just put <laughs> Alien in the same category as Bloodsport and Maximum Overdrive. Two movies that I could rewatch, but are bad fucking movies. Yeah, that are fucking terrible. But like, that's the thing, right? Like, this is from that magical time when, you know, I'd sleep over at Bad Michael's house, which is only a few blocks from my parents' house. But I remember watching Maximum Overdrive and being so creeped out and not wanting to wake up my brother or bad Michael or Uncle Rudy. And I just snuck out of the house and walked home in my pajamas. You know what I mean? Like stuff like this. This is this harkens back to that time. Like when I realized that I loved movies, but I didn't realize why I love movies or what yeah. I loved about movies. I just knew watching fucking Bloodsport. No, I agree. Like, I agree. Yo, I agree. This was that shit, man. And it's funny because the same thing goes for Conan the Barbarian. Like I loved Conan when it came out. Like I love Conan now, like, which is a lot. And it's funny too, like specifically with Conan, I went through this moment of like, when I, when I got out, when I got to middle school, specifically i started voraciously reading those forgotten realms and uh dragonlance books the margaret weiss and tracy hickman's books particularly that had you know characters in it that were kind of akin to the conan universe and i love the conan comic book you know what i mean like i love that shit at that time and it definitely reinvigorated this weird love of the sword and sandal like gladiator movie basically you know what i mean like pre-gladiator of course I but will, like this is this is what i want to say though because I've been making these hardcore comparisons, sort of tongue-in-cheek because I think it's funny. But <laughs> I want to lift up Conan the Barbarian as, like, the fucking crown of thorns. Like, you know the, you know the crown of thorns like effect? Like Lord Isaac? Well, in the sense that whenever you if, – if someone doesn't know crown of thorns and you lift up crown of thorns, because of Lord Isaac's personality, because of the name, they think mm. you're hyping up something along the lines – 
of 25 to life, right? Right, right, right. But then you hear Crown of Thorns and you realize... You realize that they're just Pixies records played way faster. Yeah, <laughs> Crown of Thorns is almost a post-hardcore band. Like, that that yeah. they like they, they have art, that there's artistry there, even as it also delivers occasionally something you can mosh to. And so, like, for me, I do want to lift that up. Like, it's a bit of an unfair comparison. There's a lot of charm to Bloodsport, but there's a lot of artistry to Conan, but both movies yeah, there, affected my childhood. There's a lot of artistry in Bloodsport. No, for sure. no, not at all. But they <laughs> both mean, are a movies. Harley I think Davidson that. Headband. But they're both movies. I think that do stir that nostalgia in us, even yeah. if even if going back to them, they have diminishing returns comparatively. Yeah. That said, I'm more than grateful that we took the time to go through these movies because yeah, they definitely reminded me of what I have to look forward to in the new year. And they reminded me of how far we've come just as people since we saw these movies the first time. Right. Like, right. I know that's a, a miss, like a no brainer, given that these movies are 40 years old. But still, it's just like, I don't know. That's a thing. Right. Like for me, it's like when, you know, you're going through like like when people mark the height as you're growing, you know what I mean? They, they you see the marks on the door made in pencil and like age and height and all that stuff. It's like uh just the, you know, we just watched, like I said, Michael Haneke movies and fucking Lars von Trier movies, but like, and those are good. And I feel like, like those movies affect me in ways that like really do appeal to like my senses and really do appeal to like my intellect and engage me in ways that like not any other media does. But if you're going to talk about how much you love Michael Haneke, but you're going to shit talk JCVD. <laughs> For no reason other than it was like a blood and guts kung fu movie with a weird white guy fighting a bunch of like not white guys, then guess what, man? Like, there's a whole picture here to be seen, and this is part of that mosaic. And I'm not saying it deserves the same respect as Breaking the Waves does. Maybe it doesn't. But that said, I still, at the end of the day, it's the currency of feeling. And that's what I get from these movies. I feel that. I feel that hard. Yeah, man. And fucking Conan, again, like I love that movie so much. And it's funny, too, because I definitely remember Red Sonia and Ernie Reyes Jr. was in that movie. It's like, oh, Filipino. You know what I mean? Like that kind of like, mm -hmm, that's right. I, I recognize myself in that, man. And uh, other movies, like there were so many other like sword and sandal movies. Like right. uh, remember the Fulci one, Conquest? Yep. Unwatchable. Yep. Unwatchable. Unwatchable. I hate that movie. Crawl uh, the Conqueror or Crawl. Yeah. We talked about that on this show. It's still weird. I still, I don't know if I like it, but like it's, it's one of those movies that yeah. was there. Yeah. Liam Neeson as a Cyclops. Yeah. There you go. Um, I don't know. There's even a Jack Palance sword and sandal movie that I remember watching where he had a leather vest and a crossbow. Side note. Uh, wait, who is, who, who's in red Sonia? You just referenced and I totally forget. Ernie Reyes head. Jr. Ernie Reyes Jr. Is on TikTok. He needs our help y'all. He's on, he's on TikTok. <laughs> And he plays a game on TikTok where he opens up, he has a pile of like residual checks and he opens up the check and talks about whatever it's for, the project it was for and what he can get to eat with that check. Like, so it's like, oh, it's Whoa. this, this is a Taco Bell dinner. Oh yeah. This is when I was in blah, blah, blah. It's fucking magical. If, if you can find him on there, it's really good. It's so, so brutal. Have you heard about what's going on with uh, Ernie Reyes Jr.? No. He needed a kidney transplant and he's living in Hawaii, but he uh, he got on the donor list and he ended up having the transplant and it was in Arizona or something like that. And um, he didn't realize that he'd have to stay there 
to recuperate and he's like running out of money and all this other stuff because he's oh, like shit. broke now or whatever. So like I, I don't know if he's broke, but I know that he needs money. So he started to go fund me to help our man Ernie Reyes Jr. sustain himself while he's in Arizona away from his Hawaiian home while he recuperates from this kidney transplant that he got. So uh friend of the show, Ben Silverio, posted uh um the GoFundMe page for for our man. Ernie Mays Jr. So, you know, if you're feeling the love of the season of the new year, uh, how about we give a little bit of a, a little bit of scratch to our man who's down but not out. <laughs> Speaking to the Filipinos in the crowd. That's all I'm saying. I love I love your. Uh, oh, you know what? That's my fault. I'm being racist. <laughs> what? Sometimes I, I confuse Ernie Reyes Jr. with uh, Dante Basco. Oh yeah, different dude, different dude. Yeah, that's no, cool. No. Well, I, don't get me wrong. Both dudes who, as a kid, I thought were uh, Puerto Rican, but they are not. They are Filipino. <laughs> Happens all the time. I know. <laughs> Go see uh, the first West Side Story. We could talk about it after. Oh no! Oh no! Totally. <laughs> I, that's one of the things I was because Suze was talking about all the representation in the new West Side Story. All these, you know, actors or whatever, and I was like. No, and she said it to me as we were leaving, and I went, "No disrespect to our Filipino friends." And she was like, "What?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah, original West Side Story, mostly Filipino, not Puerto Rican at all." <laughs> and Bernardo was a white guy in brown face. But I anyway, know, that's a different story for a different episode of this very I wonderful know. podcast. Maybe we'll that's oh, maybe we'll folks. do maybe on a new episode we'll do a double West Side Story talk, dude. <laughs> I'm into it. I'm down. Yeah, I got to watch it. I think that'd be fun. So okay. anyways, I also hey have guys. this concept for, uh, for another episode, me and Scully, I was a guest on Scully's show. I liked a movie movie. And, um, we had talked about fast and the furious nine, another one of the Liam favorites. And, um, me and Scully were talking about like, you know, it would be really fun to get somebody who'd never seen any of the fast and furious movies, show them episode one and then show them episode nine and then be like, okay, what happened? <laughs> It's such a good idea. And then I was we're, talking about it. We're not, work. we're not doing that on this show. Cause we've, we've spent enough time discussing the fast and furious films on this podcast. Well, that's funny. You should mention, cause I'm thinking we're going to be doing it for this podcast and with movie movie with my friend at work, Miss Sarah laser Lloyd, no, because no, she's not no. seen any of these movies no. and she's the perfect candidate. That and sounds the plan like a, is, that's a great episode of, I like to movie movie. We're not doing it over here. We're done with fast <laughs> we're gonna, and furious. We're going to watch episode one with her. And then we're going to watch episode nine with her, but we're only going to face her while she watches episode nine and just be like, uh huh. <laughs> Uh huh. What? Mm hmm. That's right. <laughs> you don't even know who Han is. It's gonna be great. Oh it's gonna be God! Great. No, Crossover this is a terrible, episode. This is a coming. terrible idea. Oh man! I hate a, everything about this. Reply, like tweet at us or something, and tell us that this is a great concept and that Liam is out of his mind did, for being. Did you like? Did you like Fast idea. and Furious Nine? Did you like it? Uh, it starred John Felix Anthony Cena Jr. in it. So yeah. Man, I was pretty let down. There are parts of it. There are parts of it I liked, but I, you know, it's not. It's no Fast and Furious two, i.e., it's not terrible, but it's certainly no Fast and Furious six by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but what is Liam? That's the question you have to ask yourself. I know. I thought. I thought seven was pretty good too, but I, I was eight, into it. I don't eight, give a shit. Eight's it, pretty it's, bad, it's and then it's a build-up movie I, I thought, for whatever happens in ten. Here's here's the deal. John Cena, 
is only a comedic actor to me from now on. I can't handle John Cena <laughs> in Fast and Furious Nine is terrible. He's fucking Oh god, he's so awful. bad. It's great. It's, it's so, so funny though, because it's like there's so many things. I know this is another discussion. If you really want to hear my thoughts on Fast and Furious Nine, listen to That's the episode true. of I like That's the movie true. movie that just I came out. I do love I do love I do love our friend Dan Scully. There's nothing against yeah, him. Yeah, Scully's the best. I love that dude too. Uh but I love you, Liam, and I love our show, and I'm so happy that we're still doing this into the new year of 2022. And I hope that we do this for another 50 years because this is one of my favorite things in life and i really appreciate everybody who listens to it who listens to me ramble and go through whatever movements my life happens to be going through both good and bad and um thank you so much for again just being a part of my life i love you it's been a wild ride i love you too man maybe in 20 years we can talk about fast and furious nine yeah maybe in 20 years we'll be like (laughs) yeah remember that time when you hated fast and furious and now everyone in that movie is president of everything now it's weird (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> extreme Reaganism. It's going to be wild. <laughs> anyway, episode 145 done and done. And we'll catch you guys on the flip side. Happy new year, everybody. Bye. Smoke, smoke bomb, smoke bomb, smoke bomb. Do you like spooky movies? Hair raising tales. Insightful criticism. Judgmental hot takes. Then you're going to love horror business. The horror podcast on the Cinepunks podcast network dedicated to all things weird and spooky. My name is Leo Dong. And I'm Justin Lore. And every episode, we're going to tear apart your favorite and not-so-favorite horror movies to get to the bottom of what makes these movies great, or maybe not great. <laughs> Whether it's The Beyond, Prince of Darkness, or Inseminoid, we dive in on a double feature every episode, and then we talk about it. Some of our insights are great, and sometimes we just complain. So if we have to suffer through it, so do you. Horror Business, available anywhere you find fine podcast products.